me uh, to the book of Ezekiel, and let's go to chapter 28. And then I want you to flip over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. And then after you leave those two markers, I, I want you to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. We're going to cover those particular chapters this morning. We have been looking at this series concerning Christians. Do we know our enemy? The Bible says that we need to know our enemy. If we're a believer in Christ Jesus, a follower of Christ, we know that our enemy, and we understand that our enemy is Lucifer. He goes by the name of Satan. He goes by the dragon. He goes by the name of Beelzebub. He's called the serpent. He's called the devil. He has many names. He also has helpers. We understand and we know that there is a demon world. And we know that in Revelation chapter 12, uh, there was a great battle with Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer. Lucifer wanted to take over God's domain. And ensuing in this great battle, obviously, Michael was triumphant. And we know that Lucifer was kicked out of the kingdom of God. We also know that in Revelation 12, uh, the dragon took its tail and he took 12, uh, a third of the stars that were in heaven. That would have been the angelic realm. And so our enemy is Lucifer. Our enemy is the demonic world. And they are out there. We've given you some stories. I'm going to give you another one here uh, this morning. The enemy is alive and well. He's on a mission to search and destroy. And the mission is to destroy you. Especially if he's lost a customer. <coughs> and so this past week, I've been working on this study. And I recognize and I acknowledge that the enemy likes to attack your physical body. And so I've been running havoc with this cold, this cough this runny nose. And so please pray for me so I can get through the study. But I want to take you back now to Ezekiel chapter 28. And I'm going to go over it a little bit faster than I have in the last couple of weeks, but just to give you some insight. Know your enemy. This morning is part four. When you come to Ezekiel chapter 28, we see the description of our enemy. We understand that there was a king of Tyre, a prince of Tyre. And there were actual kings there. But as you study the chapter, you recognize and you can see uh, the words that are shared. And it's obviously speaking of Satan. I believe he was the music director of heaven. I believe he was a third archangel. I believe he had position. He was a cherubim. He was called to worship God, and yet pride set in. Now, pride is part of all of our lives. And sometimes pride even takes us to the place of hell. And so we have to know that enemy. And that enemy is Lucifer and the demons, but the enemy is pride. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not that bad. I was water baptized. I made my Holy Communion. 
I made my confirmation. Mary and I were even married in the church after we got married in Las Vegas. And so I assumed I did everything right. I went to Catholic school. And yet my friend was sharing with me, Bob, you need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. And I just couldn't conceive that. My pride would not let me see it. And I remember when he said, you need to read John chapter 3. Well, I went home and I, I, I didn't have a Bible. I asked my wife to buy me one. And so I had this living translation. And I started to read. But when I read John chapter 3, verse 3, John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a very religious man, part of the Sanhedrin. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in those two verses, verse 3 and verse 7, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I have to admit to you, I did not like the phrase. I didn't understand the phrase. And then I did exactly what Nicodemus said. And he said, Lord, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He was talking about a spiritual birth. I'm born a natural man. You're born a natural man or a natural woman. And we must come to the born again experience. And so Lucifer gives us the picture of a fallen angel. And remember, he takes a third with him. Excuse me. Let's pray now, or let's read through, excuse me. Ezekiel 28, we begin in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Son of man, take up a lamentation of the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection. Notice the explanation of who Lucifer is. You were full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in the eat. You were in Eden, the garden of of God. So he was back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Every precious stone was your covering. And notice the brilliance of the colors. And if you do a study on these colors, they'll blow your mind. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, uh, the turquoise, the emerald, uh, an emerald with gold. And then it gives you the position of his work. (coughs) The workmanship of your timbrels. These are cymbals, musical instruments, and the pipes or the flutes that were prepared for you on the day that you were created. He's a created being. He was called to be the worship leader, I believe, in heaven. He was called to do music ministry. His position uh, as A cherubim is one of the places, one of the works of a cherubim was to worship the Lord. But it went to his head. It went to his heart. And then pride set in. And that's exactly what happens to each and every one of us. Pride will keep you from the cross. Pride will keep you from a service to God. Pride will keep you from witnessing Christ to others. Pride will keep you from prayer. Pride will keep you from studying the Word of God. Pride has so many effects in our lives, and we have to recognize that pride. Notice now, it continues to describe who Lucifer was. He says in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers, it speaks about his wings. I establish you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So he had 
a place in heaven. He was in the glory of God. A reference that is given there is in Exodus chapter 24, verse 10. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity or sin was found in you. And that sin is in Isaiah chapter 14, the pride of Lucifer. It's the same pride that fell on King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the abundance of your trading, the merchandising of Satan, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing, out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, or covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stone. Imagine being in the domain of God, being in the house of God, having Position as the music director, having worship and praise, leading worship and praise. But it went to his heart. It eventually went to his head. You're better than God. You're better than all these other angels. And he forgot his position. And he was kicked out of heaven. In verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Here's where it began. You corrupted your wisdom. He says, for the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze upon you. The time comes. Each and every one of us, we see Lucifer for who he is. He is nothing. I don't fear Lucifer. I don't fear the demons. I fear God. The Bible says that to have the fear of the Lord is to have the reverence of God. I respect, I reverence, I learn about God. Now the enemy is going to come after you, but I have the blood of Christ. The enemy is going to come after you, I have the power of prayer. The enemy is going to come after you, I have scripture. And he knows scripture, but he tells you a half truth and a half life. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what he did with Eve. Notice verses 18 and 19 now. Finish up the chapter. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Again, the word trading, the merchandising. And think of the things that he merchandises people with. And therefore, I brought fire from your midst and devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Now, Lucifer was defeated at the cross. 2,000 years ago. I like what one old pastor said. The, the only problem is he doesn't know it. But he was defeated at Calvary. And the Bible says that he's going to run havoc on the earth. And he has. He's been doing that since Genesis chapter 3. But one day, he will become nothing but ashes. One day, he will be finally cast into hell. And then according to the book of Revelation at the conclusion of the 1,000 year reign of Christ, he will be taken out of hell and cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But in the meantime, he's going to come against us. He's going to come against us hard. Notice now in verse 19, the conclusion, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror. I shall and shall be no more. Once he's recognized, he's nothing. We have this folklore 
we just, everybody was celebrating Halloween yesterday. And I'm sure somewhere, somebody had, you know, the, the red pajamas. And he had that little goatee. And, and he had the horns coming out. <coughs> Excuse me. And he had the, the tail and then the pitchfork. Well, that's folklore. That's not the way the devil looks. And the devil's real. The devil's a created being. And if you go back to Genesis, ladies, Eve was speaking to the serpent. The serpent was upright. It wasn't until he was cast that he became a serpent on the floor. And he's been on his belly ever since when you think about it. So we understand he was a created being. We understand his position in heaven. He was the worship leader. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 14 with me. And in verses 12 through 21, his fall. Here he is with a position in heaven, but his fall. And sometimes in the church, we're not satisfied where we're at. Well, Lord, you know, I went to school. Lord, I need a bigger church. Lord, I need this. And, and maybe God doesn't want to give it to you. Maybe God has you exactly where you're supposed to be. Are we ever content? Remember back in the day when you got your first job. Are you ready for this? I was making $1.10 an hour working for the Monrovia Nursery, and I was a sophomore in high school, 1962. I thought that was a tremendous amount of money. And what did I do with my first paycheck? I went to the racetrack. And I lost it all. Because that's what my dad taught me to do. But then you want more. And I don't know if you ever did this, but I prayed. I said, Lord, if I get a raise, I'll never ask you again. That's why. That's your pride talking. You always want more. What's the logic about, or the adage that they say, a millionaire says what? I want one more million. That's not true, because when he gets that one million, what does he say? I want another million. We're never satisfied. And so what happens is pride sets in. Can you say that this morning? I'm comfortable where God has me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't strive for anything. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the university and get a good education. I'm not saying that you shouldn't apply for good jobs. But are we ever satisfied? And many times when we climb the so-called ladder of success, we want to just, whoever's in my way, I'm going to take them down. I want to be the best businessman, best businesswoman in the world. But you're a Christian. You're supposed to be honest. Well, I'll do everything in my power to get to the top. That's our politicians today. And so what sets in is pride. Before I read the text, remember the proverb. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And this is exactly what was the downfall of Lucifer. He begins in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, and here's the famous five I wills of Lucifer. He had a position in heaven. He walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. He was in charge of the music. But he looks at all this. He's an archangel, I believe. 
And he begins right here in verse 13. You have said, and where does it start? In the heart. You have said it in your heart. That's where pride begins, church. I will ascend into heaven. That's the first problem. I will exalt on my throne above the stars of God. He was going to be better than all the other angels. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then finally, I will be like the most high God. Pride, I'm better than that angel. Pride, I'm better than that Christian. Pride, I'm in charge of the music, but I want more. He looks at God, he sees God in the throne, I can do that. Five times, God let him say it, and then he said, no. And that's Revelation 12. He was kicked out of heaven. Imagine, I, I, I struggle with it when I see his position. I see his place. I mean, he has it made. And then he convinces a third of the stars to follow him. That's exactly how pride works. I will be like the most high God. This is a position of cult leaders. They believe you can reach God's state. That's what Mormonism teaches when you look at their doctrine. And by the way, ladies, in Mormonism, you're eventually going to be part of a planet. And the purpose of that planet, listen, you will be eternally pregnant. Because you've got to replenish that planet. I don't know about you, but that would anger me. I got an aunt that has 12 kids, and you tell her to, you're going to have another kid, she'll, she'll slap you. But these are doctrines, and people buy into them, church. Now, let's continue here. I will ascend like the most high, and it didn't happen. He was kicked out. Verse 15, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to hell, to Hades, in the lowest depths of the pit. Uh, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble, who shook nations? And that's exactly what he's done. Look at the evil that he's brought throughout the world. I'm always amazed at the vast size of our world. And yet we always get this reminder, there are people that are starving. I don't understand it. I mean, we're able to grow crops here in the high desert. They're able to grow crops in Israel, another high desert. There's plenty of land where you can plant and grow. And you could feed the world. But look what Satan has done. People rather live in metropolitan areas than to go outside and to be a farmer, for instance. And farming is not the way it used to be. And so he has destroyed so much. And people say, well, what has he done? We'll finally acknowledge that he's nothing but a big zero. Notice verse 17. Who made the worlds as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Who not opened the house of prisoners. Satan did not come to open the house of prisoners. He came to bind you into prison of sin. Jesus came to set the captives free. The Middle East today, you talk about Baghdad. You talk about Iraq. You talk about Syria. 
I mean, look at the destruction that he's brought there. And it's not over yet. And yet Israel is blessed, but she's going to be judged one day also. Notice now, all the kingdoms of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable uh, branch, like the garment of those who are slain, uh, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the, to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trodden underfoot. It's giving the vivid description of death. I mean, we are body, soul, and spirit. And we, when we die, the spirit and the soul go to be with Jesus. And we receive a new body. That's what the scriptures teach. But I want you to think of our, of our decaying bodies. I mean, if, if you dig up uh, somebody that you buried a, a year later, they're pretty much uh, already consumed. Two years later, for sure. Three years later, it's done. The body is nothing. But to go home to be with the Lord. Uh, this past week, in our own church here, Pastor Jay, his father, Dr. Wisner, passed away. I'm going to miss seeing him sitting in the back, enjoying the, uh, the church. He loved for you guys to go and say hello to him. He just loved the, uh, you know, attention. And then John Bright, another one of the gentlemen here in the church, his grandson. Now, John's up in age, as I am, and John expects to be buried by your grandchildren, right? His grandson in Michigan passed away. Reality. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We're, unless the rapture of the church comes, and I hope and pray it does. But we're all going to die. And so Lucifer, his time is running out. He just doesn't know it. And so the vivid description of death. Look at verse 20. He says, you will not be joined with them, speaking to Lucifer, in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evil doers shall never be named. Satan will not join the dead. Satan will end up in the lake of fire. He says, prepare slaughter uh, for the children, for his children. Speaking of Lucifer's family, watch this. Because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Does Lucifer have a family? Does Lucifer have offspring? The answer is yes. Either we are, listen to this, a family of God or we're a family of Lucifer. I didn't like that when I heard the doctrine. When I heard the teaching years ago, Bob, you're either for God or you're for Satan. I said, wait a minute. I don't want nothing to do with Satan. I don't want nothing to do with the devil. I'm with God. Have you received him? Have you accepted his son? He sent him to die on the cross for you. And so the list goes on. And so what was Lucifer's downfall? Pride. What is our downfall? Pride. Know your enemy. Now we know Lucifer. We know the demons. I, we've been studying it. Know your enemy. Our enemy so many times is pride. 
Again, let's go back to the logic. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not that bad. I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And yet we realize I need Christ. If Jesus came to die for me, why should I not receive him? The Bible says that Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Now, I've had this said to me many times, maybe some of you also. Bob, I believe in God. I, I don't believe that he sent his son to die for me. Well, in order to get to God, you have to go through the son. And if you don't receive the son, you don't get to the father. People want to go around the cross. People want to go over the cross. People want to go under it, over it, around it. But they don't want to go through the cross. You see, the cross is a symbol of death. I have to die on the cross too. My sins have to die. Now, Jesus paid the price. But all I have to do is acknowledge it. Lord, thank you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Now, we've been looking at King Nebuchadnezzar, mighty Babylon. And we want to finish it up today. I want to look at Daniel chapter 4. But before I get to Daniel chapter 4, let me take you back a little bit. The book of Daniel is powerful. It's a blessing. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had his first dream. He saw a great statue. And none of his magicians, soothsayers, necromancers, astrologers, or anybody else could interpret the dream. Now, here's the key. When he gave it to his magicians and soothsayers and such, they said, King, give us the dream and we'll interpret it. He says, I don't know the dream. Well, then how can we interpret it? You're the magicians. I pay you. Give me the dream. And he was ready to kill them. But he couldn't even remember the dream. He knew he had a dream. There's times when I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, oh, that was neat. I love that dream. I'm going to tell Mary in the morning. And in the morning, we're having breakfast, having some coffee. And I said, you know what I dreamt last night? She goes, what? And I go, I didn't write it down. If you don't write it down, you're not going to remember it. I go, it must have been good because I wanted to share it with you. But especially you get older, some of you young guys, wait till you get there. You forget everything. So Nebuchadnezzar wants the impossible. Give me the interpretation of the dream. Well, give me the dream. I don't know it. Ah, but Daniel comes into the picture, and we understand that Daniel interprets the dream. Where did Daniel get the interpretation of the dream? He got it from God, and God gave it to him. And in that dream, he saw a great statue. <clears throat> I'm going to describe it to you real quick. He saw the head of gold. That was Babylon. He saw the chest of silver. That was the... Persian Empire. Uh, he saw the, uh, the brass across the stomach area. That was the Grecian Empire. He saw the legs made of iron. That was the Roman Empire. And then he saw the ten toes, which is the European Union that is being established even today. 
This is a very prophetic statue. But the problem is that King Nebuchadnezzar, it went to his head. And that's where pride started to come in. And he has this massive, massive statue built in the plains of Endur, which is about 12 miles outside of Babylon. It wasn't a small statue. We gave you the statistics last week. The normal statue is what? Six foot, 10 feet. This statue was 90 feet high. Unbelievable. And then nine feet wide. Can you imagine the size of it? I gave you a surfer's name last week, and I asked you to Google it. I, if you did, you saw the enormous wave. This is the only guy that's been known back in 2013. Uh, I think he was in a foreign country, Paraguay or something of that nature. Anyway, he went down and he, he actually surfed it. But you could barely see him. 100-foot wave. Incredible. Then Nebuchadnezzar loved it. I'm the head of gold. And he gave an edict, a law. When you hear the music, I want you to bow down and worship the image. You know that the Antichrist is going to do the same thing in the time of the tribulation? In the time of the great tribulation, the last six and uh, last three and a half years, that is. He's going to build this image. And he's going to say, worship it. The Jews are going to flee to the rock city Petra. God will keep them there. It's interesting to me how history has a way of, of going full circle. We know that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, the three Hebrew children, friends of Daniel, they did not worship the image. They were cast into the fiery furnace. And the fiery furnace was heated up seven times. The men that brought the fire hotter died because it was so hot. And they bound the three boys. But the king was watching as we shared. They would probably sit up on a little hill and he could see down into the furnace. Didn't we put three men in? Yes, king. And then we tie them up? Yes, king. Uh, they're untied, and they're walking in the midst of the fire, and there's a fourth man. Now, when we finished the passages last week, uh, basically, this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. The fourth man is like the son of God. Now, I determined that it was a, a Christophany, of Christ in the Old Testament. There are others that said it was just an angel. Well, many times Jesus would take the appearance of an angel. There was a Christophany in the time of Joshua. Many believe it was Christ. There was a Christophany in the time of Hagar and Ishmael when they were fleeing uh, from Abraham. Abraham actually kicked them out that the angel of the Lord appeared to them then. So another Christophany. And so I believe this fourth man is Jesus. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he gives indication that this moved him so much. He sounds like a believer, but he's not finished yet. And so I want to begin here in Daniel chapter 4 now. And I want you to see how the words come out from King Nebuchadnezzar. And he begins here and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, king, 
uh, the king to all people, to all nations, to all languages that dwell on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Sounds like he's converted. In fact, if you're taking notes, study the epistles of Peter and the epistles of Jude. They like to start their epistles with, peace be multiplied uh, to you. I believe they probably read the book of Daniel. He says in verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Again, it sounds like Nebuchadnezzar is converted. He's speaking Christianese, if you may. But look at verse 3. How great are his signs, signs and wonders of God. And how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. These are great words. It sounds like he's converted. It sounds like he's a Christian. And sometimes we can sound very Christian, but yet we're not. Again, I didn't think myself that bad of a person. I didn't think myself a non-believer. I didn't think myself as serving Lucifer. But I wasn't serving God. I was selling drugs. I was drinking too much. And so here's Nebuchadnezzar. Just because dreams have been interpreted for you, and just because Daniel thinks highly of you, that doesn't make you a believer. And so look at verse 4 now. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, what is going on here? He's resting. I have to give you some insight. Uh, Mighty Babylon is already built. He's kicking back. He's in his pomp and glory. We're told by scholars that between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there could have been at least a two-year span that he would have been able to build. Or there could have been uh, a seven-year span or an 11-year span. And then some even take it to 22 years. I don't know which one is right, but I want to take the 11-year span. And I'll give you the reason. The reason is he had time to build Great Babylon. And I'm going to give you descriptions of mighty Babylon. It was just unbelievable. If you're taking notes, all you got to do is Google, you know, uh, the mighty Babylon of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and you will come up with the walls of the city, 15 miles square, so 60 miles in circumference, 300 feet high, 87 feet wide. And to show you the width on the top, you could have four chariots abreast and they could easily go around and they would to protect and such. There's some more statistics. It had 100, 100 brass gates, uh, towers along of the 60 uh, miles of, of circumference of walls, many, many ornate palaces. One of them was obviously his house. But it was also known for its famous hanging gardens. His wife was from another portion of the country where she was accustomed to very lush 
land. She was used to gardens. She was used to grass. She was used to flowers. And so he built her the hanging gardens that are still considered today as one of the seven wonders of the world. Let me describe to you uh, this engineering marvel. Even today, engineers speak about it. And so when you would see mighty Babylon from a distance, you would notice the hanging gardens. It looked like a mountain of shrubs, flowers, greenery. And this was all developed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it had a tired, a tired, uh, a tiered, excuse me, tiered gardens of trees, shrubs, vines, flowers. Like a green mountain, they could see it. It was made of brick and mud, and it had a tremendous watering system. And, and the beauty of it was just unbelievable. Uh, they have done ex excavations, and they found that uh, mighty Babylon was in the Hilla Babylonian uh, province, the area of Iraq, and we see the desolation today. If you want to do further reading, uh, the high priest in two, 290, 290 BC, uh, his name was Berossus, and then later by Josephus, the great historian, uh, he wrote about it. Now, again, I want you to think of four chariots abreast, and they would just go around and cover the square mileage. Protection. Towers would be in between there. And so it was fortified. It was strengthened. The estimates of at least one million up to two million people lived in there. Now, I want you to get all these details because you're going to see that he thinks he did it all. He doesn't acknowledge God. He sounds like he's converted. Now, what's interesting, mighty Babylon was impregnable. You couldn't get in. But the Persians, remember the statue? The Persians eventually came in. How did they come in? They left a gate. There was a giant moat that went around the 60 miles. And they left the gate open. And when the Persians came, they heard about it. They went in through the gate. And they were able to go inside through the moat, through the gate, and they destroyed the Babylonians. So much for your pride, right? So let's begin here. He's in his house. He's resting. And then in verse 5, I saw a dream uh, which made me afraid and thought on my bed and the vision on my head troubled me. Now he doesn't think of Daniel. And yet Daniel interpreted the first dream. Daniel was considered second at this point, and I don't understand it, but he eventually goes to Daniel. Maybe he wanted to give his men that he hires as soothsayers the opportunity uh, to uh, bring forth the interpretation of the dream. Notice verse 6, therefore, I issued a decree to bring to me, to all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream as Daniel did back in the first dream. But notice verse 7, the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, now Chaldeans were the priesthood for Babylon. They were the wise men of Babylon and the soothsayers. And they came in and I told them the dream. 
but they did not know or give known to me the interpretation. Now, you're dealing with a king. You better know the interpretation. You better do your job. That's what you were paid for. And so imagine the fear of these guys that knew the magical arts, but they were dumbfounded. Notice now in verse 8, but at last Daniel came before me. His name was Belteshazzar. That was his Babylonian name. According to the name of my God, he worshipped Marduk. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. Marduk was considered a, a warrior god or a war god. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before. He's speaking about the spirit of the holy God on Daniel. Not his God. Because he knew his men couldn't do it. And I told the dream before him. He knew Daniel. He trusted Daniel. Daniel loved King Nebuchadnezzar. And he warns him. In verse 9, Belteshazzar uh, chief of the magicians. Now Daniel was given that title, but he was not a soothsayer. He got his messages from God. Because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Acknowledgement by King Nebuchadnezzar. And no secret troubles you. Explain to me the vision of my dream that I have seen and give me the interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the, of the earth, and its height was great. This is mighty Babylon, the kingdom. And so Daniel's listening. The tree grows and became strong. Its height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Now, Babylon was known for its beauty. Babylon was known for its gold, its silver, its tapestry, its hanging gardens. You could see it from afar off. Babylon, in our opinion, is described in New York City. When you go to New York City, if you've ever gone, it, it's just jaw-dropping. You just go, wow, what is this? The lights are never off. You have to go at night. You can go during the day. And there's just so much traffic, but you go at night, and it just takes a hold of you. I had the opportunity to go back in 9-11, six months after. There was a group of chaplains and pastors, and we went, and we were there. And I was with one of the guys here from the chapel, uh, a Border Patrol agent that was originally lived in Staten Island. And so Kevin took me through everything. I got to see New York firsthand by somebody that knew. And he says, Bob, it's changed so much here. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has come in and cleaned it all up. I love the subways. And he said, I don't want to ride the subways. There's a lot of evil there. And then naturally there was these guys singing, doing doo-wop, and I go over and give them a couple of bucks. And Steve, I mean, uh, Kevin says, Bob, don't do that. You're, you're encouraging them. I like the music. Let them sing to me. I don't care. But he says, these guys can turn on you. I go, let's see what happens. And so later on, Mary and I have gone to New York. It's just fabulous. It's, it's unbelievable. The Big Apple, everybody says. 
And so once you go there, you just, you stand in awe and you see. And I kind of, I get a picture for me of mighty Babylon. And, you know, you can see it and you can understand its beauty. And so he's giving this dream, this interpretation. And, and verse 12 now, its leaves, and he's describing the dream to Daniel. Its, its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in the branches, and all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher. This is an angel. A holy one coming down from heaven, he cried, verse 14, aloud, and he said, chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its, its leaves, it scatter its fruit, lest the beast get out from under it, let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, and listen, this is the promise that God wasn't going to destroy King Nebuchadnezzar. Nevertheless, leave the stump, and the roots on the earth bound it uh, with iron and bronze. Iron speaks of authority. Iron speaks of power. But listen, bronze speaks of judgment. And so if you're not going to take heed, King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom will still be there. <coughs> but bronze shows that you will be judged. And he was for seven years. We're going to see that. And that's where his pride took him. Notice now, uh, again in verse 15, Never, Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots of the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Uh, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with beast on the grass of the earth. Now, He's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not seeing it yet. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't take heed. Let his heart be changed. Listen to this. From a man, and let it, him be given a heart of a beast. And let it take place seven times, pass over him. I believe that's seven years. This decision is by the decree of the watcher, the angel of God. And the sentence of the word, in the sentence of the word of the Holy One, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomsoever he will, and sets over it even to the lowest of the lowest. King Nebuchadnezzar, you built this fortress, mighty Babylon. People know you. People come from afar off. The hanging gardens are a seventh wonder of the world. But God gave you all this, and God can take you down. Be careful when I think I did it. You think you did it. And that's where pride sets in. That was the downfall of Lucifer. It was the downfall of King Nebuchadnezzar. It was the downfall of Adam and Eve back in the garden. What did the devil say? You're not going to die, but your eyes will be open. He didn't say not to touch the fruit. And so he, Satan always comes with half truth and a half lie. And the problem is we buy into it. We buy into his traps. That's why we need to know the word of God.
Now notice as he continues here in verse 17, this decision is by the decree of the watcher, the angel of the Lord. And then he goes on into verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, speaking to Daniel, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you're able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Interesting to me that Nebuchadnezzar recognized the power of God working in and through Daniel. Now, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have a, a relationship together. He loves his king. He interpreted the first dream, even though it went to his head and he builds this 90-foot statue, and then he wants everybody to worship it. And now he builds this mighty Babylon that everybody just thought was the greatest thing in the world. Be careful when pride sets in. The United Kingdom, which is England, used to boast that the sun would never set on any of their property because they owned property all over the world. And so the sun never set. And yet England today is not what she used to be. The United States of America, we've always been known to be the power. We've always been known to be the head. Not no more. We have fallen greatly. We're not the same as we used to be. When pride sets in, church, that's exactly what happens. Now, we come to Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. The caption of my Bible says, Daniel explains now the dream. The king was giving him the dream. And now, Daniel is going to answer it. He's not a soothsayer. He's not a magician. Daniel receives it from the Lord. And so let's get into this. In verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished. This is a great word here. For a time. And his thoughts troubled him. And so the king, the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or the interpretation trouble you. He says, Daniel answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you. He's telling him, and its interpretation concerns your enemies. Those that hate you, they're going to love this dream. But king, I am troubled. That's what he's saying here. I was astonished. Daniel knew the interpretation of the dream. He knew that his king was going to be judged. He knew that his king would not take heed, and there would be seven years of judgment on him. And yet, we know that King Nebuchadnezzar comes to saving grace, but it took seven years. Church, this morning, I shared with you in my testimony, I ran from God for three and a half years. Some of you might still be running from God. You come to church, you listen, but have you given your life to Christ? It's time to stop running. It's time to let that pride settle finally and to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen to the, uh, the interpretation now. In verse 20, the tree that you saw, king, which grew and became strong, whose height reached the heavens and which 
uh, could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field uh, dwelt, and whose branches uh, the birds and the heavens uh, set their home. It is you, O king. I love this. Verse 22. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Everybody knew who King Nebuchadnezzar was. Everybody knew mighty Babylon. Again, you could stand afar off and you would see the green mountain, the hanging gardens. You would approach it and you would begin to see uh, the brilliance of the gold, the silver, uh, the tapestries and, and the workmanship. And I, I don't know about you, but imagine a, a six, 60 mile circumference, the walls that could hold four chariots, a moat that protected you, and the people that lived in there and that were fed. They were slaves, they worked for King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody knew mighty Babylon. In verse 23, and as much as the king saw a watcher, the holy one, an angel, coming down from heaven and say, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with band of iron and bronze, the tender grass of the field. He says, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times pass over. Mighty Babylon would be great. And mighty Babylon would survive. But Nebuchadnezzar was going to eat grass like an oxen. And he doesn't know it yet. Verse 24. This interpretation, O king, and this, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. And he tells him, You shall drive... They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall uh, wet you with dew of heaven. Seven times or seven years shall pass over you until you know the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomsoever he chooses. Eventually, Babylon would be judged and it was handed over to the Persians, and then the Grecians, and then the Romans. And I mean, historically, we know all this. But imagine, you're the king, and you're hearing all this. In a sense, it's foreign to you. How can I lose this? It's my kingdom. I built it. And that's exactly what he does, or he says. Verse 26 and as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be uh, assured to you. That's a promise. And after you come to know that heaven rules, Daniel must have felt very proud of what God had given him at this point. He knows that his king is going to be judged, but he also knows that he's going to have a reprieve. And I want you to think about the grace of God. We all deserve judgment, but God gives us his grace, unmerited favor. And I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven many times over. So have you.
That's the grace of God. Now we want to finish this off. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sin, Daniel says, by being righteous. Turn to God. That's what he's saying. And your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Repentance is never easy. I can say I repented, but it can be a lip service. I've done that. You've done that. But true repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. I'm going this way in sin. I have to make an about face and go the opposite way, 180 degree turn. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> That's the born again experience. Now, if you have a, a study Bible like I do, verse 28, caption says, King Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. Humility hurts sometimes, yet humility is good. I don't like uh, the rug pulled out from underneath me, but sometimes God has to do that. I don't like to be busted and yet sometimes God has to do that. I don't like to see myself on my back and suffering through some kind of uh, sickness, disease, infirmity. And listen to me, sometimes God allows that. Pastor Bob, how can you say that? Go back and study Job chapters 1 and 2. The Bible says that Lucifer went before the throne of God and he asked permission to test him. And he says, go ahead, don't touch his life, test him. He says, I can't. You have a hedge of protection. Take the hedge down. I read that all the time and I, I just cringe because the Bible says God knew his servant Job and he took the hedge down. I pray the opposite. Lord, put that hedge up on mine. Raise it up, Lord. Don't take the hedge down. But God knew his servant. A lot of hedges have come down in the Middle East right now. A lot of Muslims and a lot of Christians are dying for their faith. God gives you the grace. So let's see his humiliation now. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. It all came upon him, the dream. Why? He did not, excuse me, he did not take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord was saying in the interpretation of the dream. Verse 29, and at the end of 12 months, it took 12 months. And I see, I, I believe that happens to so many of us. I said, nothing's happened to me. I've been running from God three and a half years. Nothing's happened to me. Little did I know there was people praying for me. Little did I know that there was people fasting for me. Little did I know that God was searching me day and night. I couldn't sleep sometimes because God will not let you go. So all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace that we described of Babylon. And the king spoke these words. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? For a royal dwelling by my mighty power and by the honor of my majesty. That's exactly what Lucifer did in Isaiah chapter 14. I 
I, I, I. And God said, no. And I think sometimes we can fit in these categories. Maybe not as drastic, but pride sets in. Notice now, in verse 31, while the word was still in his mouth, what he was sharing in verse 30, the voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed. The word departed there in the Hebrew is a very strong word. It is the word Ichabod. Now, if you're taking notes, we studied this on Wednesday nights. 1 Samuel chapter 4, Eli the priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are evil. The sons are killed in battle. When the king finds out that they had captured the Ark of the Covenant, and then he heard that his sons died, he fell backwards and died. He's dead, his sons are dead. Phineas's wife is going to have a baby. She has no father-in-law. She has no brother-in-law. She has no husband. What am I to do? When the child is born, she named the child Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. And so Ichabod has happened here. The glory of the Lord has departed from Babylon. Notice verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he chooses. Eventually, it's going to go to the Persian Empire. And then it's going to follow suit to the Grecian Empire and then to the Roman Empire. Uh, people always, uh, Alexander the Great thought the same thing. I have no more, uh, no more cities, no more nations to conquer. He dies at a young age of pneumonia. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had it made. Just like Lucifer, I have it made. Pride set in. Verse 33, that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass like an oxen. His body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair and his grown, uh, had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. If you're taking notes, John Wolverd, Bible Knowledge Commentary, uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary, he gives a quote here. And he says, Dr. Raymond Harrison of Britain in 1946 had a patient uh, suffering uh, from this particular disease, and it's called boanthropy. 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 B-O-A-N-G-H-R-O-P-Y a condition just like King Nebuchadnezzar suffered here. There's another man that I want to mention. Most of you, if you're old enough, have heard of Howard Hughes. At one time, the richest man in the world. He was so paranoid. At the end of his life, he stopped cutting his hair. He stopped trimming his nails. 
He, he, he became paranoid of everything. He was afraid of germs. He was enclosed. Uh, he, he made himself a prisoner in his own home. He would put his urine in jars and he would save his feces. He was brooding disease of his own. And this is how he died. And they write books of him. They make movies of him. The richest man in the world. What took him down? Pride. Pride. Satan played it out to the finish for him. Notice now, Nebuchadnezzar comes out of it. In verse 34, and at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I was, I, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him uh, who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Church, you cannot make a statement in verse 34, as King Nebuchadnezzar did, unless you have come to saving grace. Unless he has come to saving grace. He finally saw it. took seven years. I don't know about you, but eagle's feathers... Do claws like, you know, a bird eating grass. Commentaries tell you that they probably put him in the area where the donkeys were and, and you know, the horses or, or the oxen were because they, he couldn't be seen by the people, but yet people knew about him. Notice that he's giving praise to God now. In verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed or regarded as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? King Nebuchadnezzar ran the gamut. He had everything, and yet he had nothing. And he finally saw it. I want you to mark down this psalm. I love it. Psalm 8, verse 4, I read it years ago. The psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him? The NASB says, what is man that you take thought of him? The New Living Translation says, who is man that you even think of him? And I want to encourage you, you fit that mold. I fit that mold. Who is Bob that you care for him? Who is George, Mary, Martha, that you care for them? That's how much love God has for us. That's how much compassion and grace. And he lets us go as far as we can. He does not give up. And I thank God that he did not give up on me. I thank God he's not given up on you. Look at verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me and the glory of my kingdom. My honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors, my nobles resorted resorted to me. I was restored, excuse me, restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. And I put this in my notes. I never forgot it. Satan takes it away, but God will give it back to you. Satan will take it away, but God will give it back to you. 
That's the beauty of the God that we serve. Notice the conclusion. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. God can put anyone down. But I know this, God always gives a way of escape. Every opportunity is given possible. Before we conclude, I want to read this to you. Turn with me uh, to Proverbs chapter 6 and go with me to verse 12. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12. When you study the Proverbs, the scriptures tell us that Solomon wrote 3,005 Proverbs. We only have 31. 31 Proverbs. I have tried through the years of my salvation to read a proverb of the day and to read a psalm of the day. I like to read the date. So today is Proverb 1, Psalm 1. If you read the Proverbs, 31 of them, in one month, you read it. You come back. At the end of the year, you read through the Proverbs 12 times. It's the book of wisdom. God will give you wisdom. I like to use a commentary. I like to use New Living Translation, New American Standard, and Amplified. You get so much out of it. And the King James, New King James. But look at Proverbs 6, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity in all his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But listen to the last portion. Verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run into evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and then lastly, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Not among the world, among the body of Christ. Oh, we can sow discord so easily. Be careful when you talk about other people. You should be praying for them, not talking about them. Did you see her at church today? I saw her. Did you see the way she was chewing her gum? I saw her. I've heard it all. Trust me. 